What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is June the, what's 9 and 7, 16th, July the 16th, right? I'll get it. July 16th, Robert, sorry about that. Mm. So, okay, we're, we're talking about trying to get Joseph and his family, Israel, into Egypt. And... Um, Joseph has made the way, he's revealed himself, he told his brothers who he was. Pharaoh has sent wagons to bring him back. And Pharaoh says, just leave stuff there, don't worry, we have plenty of everything here. But Jacob, Jacob has a different idea on this. He loads up everything they own. You, you can tell his intention is to never return. Mm-hmm. He's going to stay with his son in Egypt. You know, he, that's his intention. And um, God kind of confirms that to him along the way right, shortly. So um, let's just start reading in verse uh, 1 through 4 here. And um, chapter uh, 46, Genesis 46. We're getting to the end. You know there are just like four chapters left. Mm-hmm. We're going to miss it. I know. I don't know where we're going from oh, here either. Exodus, you can't leave them. Oh, <laughs> Exodus. <laughs> Isn't that funny? We are bad to want to know the end of the book, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) Leave them hanging. Oh, my Lord. So funny. Well, okay. We'll we'll think about that. At least get it jacked up a little bit. Wouldn't be bad to just go Exodus, would it? (laughs) Since we've already been through Genesis. So, okay. So, um, let's just read just a little bit here because... And, and um, this is interesting because now we've got that Israel-Jacob thing, you know, interchanging. Because um, in verse 28 in chapter 45, Israel said, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive, and I will go and see him before I die. Mm-hmm. And then verse 1 says, and Israel took his journey. That means the entire seed of the nation of Israel went. Nobody was left. With all that he had... And he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac, which I think that's pretty cool. He doesn't acknowledge God a lot along the way. But when he gets to Beersheba, which is where his dad had grown up and lived and where Abraham had grown up and lived in that area, um, he stops and offers sacrifices. Not, I have to remind myself, I don't know if you do, but, um, you know, when I think sacrifice, I always think law. But this is before the law. So always the sacrifices were praise and worship. Mm -hmm. Like Noah, you know, so this would be like a Noahic um, Mm -hmm. sacrifice, praising God um, for keeping them safe. And for, you could just, you know, Joseph's heart is so full. Um, His whole family's been restored now. You know, the only one missing is Rachel and Rachel. but but he's been restored. He is fully restored. His sons are all there. His family's all there. Um, and they're heading for deliverance. They're, they're not staying in the famine. They're not in anguish anymore. They're heading for a promise 
for hope, you know, for, for the promise of, of some deliverance here from all their troubles. And um, so I can imagine how full Jacob's heart must have been. And I appreciate that he did recognize that it came from God's hand. I mean, in spite of him, in spite of everything he did, he's at least grateful that all this came from God's hand. Couldn't have come any other way. And, and I'm sure the sons told him what Joseph said, you know, that what, what God had meant for evil, that, I mean, what, what was meant for evil, God had turned for good to bring them deliverance. I'm sure they didn't squeal on themselves and say, what you guys did to me, you know, what we did to ours. I'm sure they didn't do that. But don't you know that they did share with him that even though it was awful what happened to Joseph, you know, God's turning this into something good. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm sure he was just so full-hearted there. Um, and so after he offers the sacrifice in verse 2, God shows up again mm -hmm. in a personal and intimate way. As far as I can see, this is really the last time that, that God's, you know, pointedly shows up with Jacob um, before he dies. But... Um, this is a, a sweet encounter to me, um, and, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But verse 2, And God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night, and he said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of you a great nation, and I'll go down with you into Egypt. And I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon your eyes. In other words, you'll go to sleep right there. Mm -hmm. And Joseph will be present. Mm -hmm. You know, when you go home, Joseph will be there. But don't worry, Joe, I've got it. But the thing that just starts it off for me is um, uh, in that first verse, they talk about Israel. God appears to Israel in the night. But, but then he says, Jacob, Jacob. Yeah. It goes from just talking about the promised seed, the covenant man, to this personal, this desire that God has for this personal intimacy with Jacob. Um, the Hebrew scholars especially will tell you, you know, when you repeat a name, it's almost like a term of endearment. Because, like, sometimes, you know, you'll grab your kids, like I'll grab Wendy and go, oh, Wendy, 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 I just love you to pieces. You know, the more you repeat it, it's, it's like a term of endearment. And so the, the Hebrew scholars say that he was saying, oh, Jacob, Jacob, you know, my little Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. That kind of an endearment, you know, his heart, you know, and I'm sure God's heart's full too because he can see ahead what's going to happen and Jacob's yeah. finally on the right path. And I'm sure he's rejoicing because Jacob's rejoicing, you know, when their little hearts are happy. When your kids' hearts are happy, your heart's happy too, Amen. you know. So that little, that's a, a sweet way to put it, I thought. Uh, not just saying like, Jacob, Jacob, wake up, I got something to tell you. But rather a repeat as in like a, an endearment. Mm -hmm. You know, Jacob, Jacob, my little Jacob. Listen to me. Don't be afraid to go into Egypt. And that's a thought. You go, why would, why would he even think about fear, you know, of, of being... Well, let me just back up a minute and say this because I thought this was kind of a shock. John Gill and um, several other Christian authors... Uh, put a put a spin on it for the law, like he was started out saying Je uh, Israel, but when he started talking to him, it was Jacob, Jacob, to remind him of his low estate. Mm -hmm. now, to me, that didn't sound right, mm -hmm. and I don't, I don't buy that. Mm -hmm. But you'll find that in some of the writings 
um, if you start to read about that. Um, um, and I thought, no, that's, that's living under the law. And Jacob wasn't under the law. You know, his estate was the estate of his father and his grandfather. You know, he was the third link in that covenant. I am the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I kind of didn't buy that, but I just want to throw it out there because if you're reading about some of this stuff on the side, you might find that. And um, so if you do, I mean, you can pick what you want, but to me it just didn't ring true. I mean, in any way, it just sounded like um, the law. So anyway, he says, I'm the God of Isaac. So he's reminding Jacob. He said, you know, Jacob, this promise was made not just to you, but to Isaac through Abraham. And I want you to know that that covenant, those promises I made with Isaac and Abraham, they're still good today. And I'm going to use you to get it done. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think that assurance for Jacob was important. Um, but then he says, don't be afraid to go to Egypt, which I thought, why, why would you be afraid to go to Egypt? You know, why would there be fear in that if your son's down there and you're, there's a promise of, um, of hope there and, you know, food and everything? Why would you be afraid? It didn't dawn on me until I started reading, you know, some of the writings. But, you know, first of all, um, Isaac, his dad, went through a famine. And God forbid him to go to Egypt. God said, don't you go down. You stay in Canaan, and I'll take care of you there. So, you know, there might have been that remembrance because he would have been a kid then mm -hmm. in that famine, and uh, maybe he was worried that he wasn't doing the right thing. I don't know why he would worry now about not doing the right thing. Lord knows he's <laughs> done enough on his own, you know. But um, Targum writers think that maybe he heard from Abraham about the covenant promise. If you go to just Genesis 15 real quick, um, this is what the, the Hebrew, the Targum writers think. Um, this is when they cut the blood covenant here between Abram and God. And God begins to you know, tell him about his future and how the nation is going to be born, how the nation of Israel is going to come about. And um, so look at um, verse 13, chapter 15, verse 13. And he said to Abram, Know of a surety that your seed will be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards they shall come out with great substance. Okay, so... The Targum writers think that maybe um, he would have known about that part of the promise. Maybe um, his grandfather had told him about, you know, the children going into a land that they don't own and that they would be under servitude. Maybe he was fearful that this is where they would go into servitude. Um, I don't know. Jacob hadn't remembered too much about that covenant all this time, so I'm not sure that, that he would have been that good of a rememberer, but... Um, to me, it might have had more to do with his own young experience with the famine when God told um, Isaac not to go into Egypt. Maybe there would have been a little bit of hesitation. But to me, if he packs up everything he owns and heads that way, he's not much afraid, you know. So I think God was just trying to make sure that Jacob doesn't turn back or get cold feet or anything else. He's got to get them to Egypt because that's the plan, you know. 
So he tells him, just don't be afraid, and I'm going to go with you. And out of you, out of that place, I'm going to turn you into a very great nation. Um, and then, you know, the very fact that, and you're not coming back anymore, Joseph. I mean, Jacob, you won't be back in this land. Joseph will close your eyes. Joseph will be there when you die, um, and he'll close your eyes. So those assurances definitely had a, an effect to move him forward and keep him heading toward Egypt. You know, whatever his concerns were, he put that aside. Um, so let's just keep reading here, verse 5. And we'll just keep going because this whole thing, this is a genealogy again, so we're just going to, like, read what, what, what. Um, verse 5. And Jacob rose up from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they took their cattle and their goods, which they had gotten in the land of Canaan, and they came into Egypt. Now remember that. They're coming from the land of Canaan. Just hold that in the back of your mind. And they came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him, and his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all of his seed brought he with him into Egypt. And these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanach, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. I'm going, can you imagine what the family reunion would sound like? Seriously, I, I can't even fathom it. And the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jaquin, and Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanitish woman, and the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, and the sons of Judah, Ur, and Onan, and Shelah, and Perez, and Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. All right, Perez is the line of Jesus. Um, Judah had Perez through Tamar, his daughter-in-law, you know, in that little bit of trickery. And Perez is in the line of Jesus. <laughs> so I'm going, you just got all kind of folks in there. Okay, verse 13. And the sons of Issachar, Tola and Pubah and Job and Shimron. And the sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elon, and Jalil. And these be the sons of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob in Padanaram, and his daughter Dinah. And all the souls of his sons and his daughters were thirty and three. And the sons of Gad, Ziphion, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, and Aradi, and Aralee. Ugh, mm. uh, I know it. And the sons of Asher, Jemnah, and Eshua, and Ashui, and Bariah, and Sarah, their sister. And the sons of Bariah, Eber, and Machiel. And these are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter. And these she bare unto Jacob, even sixteen souls. And the sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin. And unto Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, which Asenoth, uh, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And the sons of Benjamin were Bela. You don't think about Benjamin ever having kids, do you? Bela and Becher and Ashbel and Gerah and Naaman, Ehi, Ehi and Rosh, and this one kills me, Muppim and Huppim and Ard. <laughs> I know. He, had, he did all right. Oh, I'm telling you. 
And these are the sons of Rachel, which were born to Jacob. All the souls were 14. And the sons of Dan, Hashim. Well, he was a little slow there. And the sons of Naphtali, Jazeel, Guni, and Jezer, and Shalim. These are the sons of Bilhah, which Laban gave unto Rachel, his daughter. And she bare these unto Jacob, all the souls, or seven. And the souls that came with Jacob into Egypt, which came out of his loins, <clears throat> besides Jacob's sons and wives, all the souls were three score and six, or 66. Mm -hmm. So Jacob brought 66 with him, and then the sons of Joseph, which were born in Egypt, were two. Um, and all the souls of the house of Jacob, which came into Egypt, were three score and ten, 70 years. Seventy human beings were planted in Egypt. And um, 70 is the number of Israel and her restoration. It is also the number of universality, which would be the promise of all nations, you know, to come out of that. But um, how cool is that? 70 people planted. Now, that's, that's the seed. Goshen is the womb. Uh, in Egypt, where, um, where they were planted. And they lived in Goshen, and they grew in Goshen from a tiny seed to a great nation, over three million people, before they were expelled. And they went out with great birth pangs, if you think about it. I mean, if you're just looking at the parallels here, um, you know, the seed was planted in, in Goshen. And when that nation had grown to a full nation of three three million plus or minus. Then there were great birth pangs in Egypt to birth her. I mean, all those plagues that came on her, one after the next after the next, each one more severe than the one before it until the death of the firstborn son, at which time Israel was expelled as a nation, birthed out of the world and became a great nation. So um, kind of a cool way when you look at it, you know, that that was set up that way. Um, so now they come, and now they, there's a sweet meeting here between Joseph and his dad, which I love. And then he gives them the weirdest set of instructions here. So we have to go through some history for this. Look at verse 28. And he sent Judah before him in to Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. So Judah went, found Joseph. Joseph helped them get to Goshen where they were supposed to be. And um, this was in Joseph's mind. So kind of keep that. Joseph was wanted to give them the best place. Um, I've got a map here. I'm just, let me see if, I, if this is the one I'm looking at. No, shoot. Don't you know I left the map at home? But if you think about the Nile River, just think about the Nile. Um, and think about Egypt, okay? Egypt is kind of shaped a little bit like this. And the Nile kind of runs right down the middle of that spine. There's some land, uh, Egyptian land, on the east side of the Nile. It's called the Delta. And then the rest of Egypt, you know, moves over toward Africa, over the rest for, toward Africa. But right at the top of the Nile... There's a, a V where the river kind of splits, and there's a big tributary that comes off of the Nile there. So it looks like a V. And in that V and around that V is where Goshen is. 
Yeah, which, um, uh, and that V is where Goshen is. And so it's, you know, you have the, the overflow of the Nile proper, you have the overflow of um, the tributary proper, so that there's a lot of rich, fertile ground. Now, as the, as the um, uh, famine got worse, the cattle would have to graze closer and closer to the river. You know, there's no doubt that the land would have dried up. But because there was the tributary there and the river, all that land up there in north would have been the northeast corner of Egypt, if you want to put it that way. It, it was um, a good place for them to be. And Joseph had that in his mind from the beginning. I'm going to put them in Goshen. It's the best grazing land there is. Plus, two other things. Um, some historians think that, that Joseph may have lived in On because that's where his daughter-in-law is from. And On was just right down the road from Goshen, which would have put him close to his dad. Um, whether he really did live there, I don't know. But... Um, there's that thought, too, that he was close. And then the other thing that makes Goshen such a good place is, is that it's right on the, you know, it's, it's right up by the Mediterranean. It butts up to the Mediterranean. And it's right along that curve heading toward Israel so that it's a quick escape. Even if the Egyptians came after him or somebody else, it's a quick route back up to Canaan, you know, back to their homeland. It's easy to get out from there. And um, so there were a lot of reasons why Goshen was such a good place. But Joseph had it in his mind that that's where he wanted them to go. So he put them there. Um, writers think, some of the writers think that um, in this next strange conversation, Joseph was just, had already put him in Goshen, but was just trying to get Pharaoh to have thought of it, like it's Pharaoh's idea. You know, to, but... Um, I don't know, because I think Joseph being second in command and being governor over the land, he could have put him anywhere he wanted. But um, anyway, some writers had said that. So uh, having said that, let me just tee this up. Um, look at verse 29. And Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen, and presented himself unto him. And he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Now that weeping's not the same word where last time where he was sloppy, wet, you know, weeping. This is just a gentle cry. But that gentle cry with he and his dad hugging each other for the longest time. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I've seen your face because you are yet alive. Um, I just love that. That's just sweet, dad and his son. But listen to these instructions um, to the end, and then we're going to talk about it. And Joseph said to his brethren and to his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him, My brothers and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come to me. And the men are shepherds. Um, the word nomadic, wanderers, this is a real general word, not the specific word for herd and sheep, okay? Mm -hmm. For their trade has been to feed cattle, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come to pass when Pharaoh shall ask you and shall say, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servant's trade has been about cattle from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, that we may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd 
and that that word literally is about shepherding, um, is an abomination to the Egyptians. Yeah. And you go, what? How can that be? Um, so we're going to talk about it. This word shepherds that he tells them to use is ra'ah uh, to some, which you don't have to write down, but it literally means men who trade in a variety of animals. They could be beasts of burden or they could be food animals. You know, and they buy and sell in animals is the way of saying that. It's a very generic way of saying it. So he says, just tell them that you like buy and sell in animals, whether it's beasts of burden or food animals, but, but that's what you do. That's, that's what you're good at. And um, don't say anything else. Don't volunteer anything else. Just tell him that. Yeah, Bec- well, this is the weird thing, and this is what we want to talk about now. Um, but, and there was a reason for it. Um, he says, just tell them you, you know, you, you're dealing cattle, which is a general term for lots of different animals. So why was he so particular about this? Um, why, why was this a problem, and why would Egyptians um, think that shepherds were an abomination to Egypt? And it has to do with history and uh, what was going on even before Joseph got there. But um, the truth is this, Egyptians were meat eaters. And so there were animal husbandry men in Egypt because they dealt in food animals. Plus, you know, pack animals, they all had to have camels and asses and everything else to carry. So there were people in the trade of camel. But this business of shepherding um, with sheep uh, brings to mind a picture of this of nomadic wandering tribes with their sheep, okay? So why would they have been an abomination? So here we go. Back around 1800 BC, and this is a good while before um, Joseph goes into Egypt, okay? Canaanites began to drift down into Egypt, into that that delta region on the east side of the Nile River, okay? These Canaanites were shepherds, and, you know, they had their flocks of sheep. And they became called the the Hyksos, um, H-Y-K-S-O-S, and and you may hear that term sometime um, again, but they're called the Hyksos, H-Y-K-S-O-S. K-S-O-S. So when they originally moved in, um, around 1800 B.C., um, that was about 25 years or so um, before Joseph came into Egypt. So they formed their own realm. Like they just took over the eastern delta and decided they were going to make a kingdom there. Mm -hmm. And they became known as shepherd kings. And every now and then, those shepherd kings would rise up and just be a pain in Egypt's rear end. You know, they would start to try to take, um, uh, at one point, they even tried to take Thebes, one of the capital cities of Egypt, where, you know, Pharaoh would reside in Thebes a lot. And um, they even tried to take Thebes. So there was always a military presence on that Nile border watching these guys. And... um, um, so they rose up from time to time, and um, 
then they would die down. You know, they would become weakened. And um, as and but they didn't go anywhere. The seed of the Hyksos were still there, and they left a bad taste in the mouths of Egyptians. Well, Joseph's family had come from Canaan. Mm. They weren't Canaanites, but they had come from Canaan. And here they are coming with their sheep and their, you know, their herds and their flocks and what have you. And um, so that would make them suspect automatically. This also ties back to what Joseph was doing with these brothers when they came for food the first time, saying, you're spies in the land. Because the Hyksos were bad to want to go into these outlying cities conquer the city, take the food stuff, the food supplies there for themselves and control that, you know, control those areas. So Egypt was always patrolling those borders and trying to keep the Ixos out so they had enough food for everybody. And um, so when Joseph's brothers came from Canaan, it wouldn't have been unusual for Joseph. I mean, none of the men around him would have even flinched that Joseph said, you've come here from Canaan. I think you're spies. I think you're coming to spy out the land. They would have been perfectly in agreement with that and would have had no problem with it whatsoever. Um, nobody would have flinched. But anyway, these shepherd kings were just a thorn in the side of Egypt all this time. At the 12th dynasty, which is when Joseph came right uh, in the middle of the 12th dynasty, um, they had had an uprising, a big uprising, just before Joseph showed up. And they had quelled the uprising, but they were still there, you know, before Joseph got there. Now, Joseph was there, you know, 13 years um, uh, before he got to see Pharaoh. Then he was there seven more years storing up the grain. Then two and a half to three years more before um, his brothers finished all their contracts. 24 when um, dad shows up, it, you know, it would have taken time for all that to happen. And in the meantime, because of the drought, the Hyksos were wanting the grain stores, but it also caused them to die back. You know, they became sparse too. They lost a lot of their animals. They lost a lot of their food stores and they sort of became dormant during that time. But it didn't, um, it didn't relieve the Egyptians of their bad feelings about the Hyksos. Um, if you just flip over to, to Exodus, um, this is the beginning of their enslavement, too. This is right toward the end, about 100 years out from when um, Israel is, is freed, okay? Um, so um, Joseph's been dead about 300 years, give or take a year or two. And the Hyksos began to rise up again. What happens is Joseph, when he dies, he has built up Egypt. We're going to read that in a few minutes. To a very strong level. And then the 12th dynasty ends, and here comes the 13th dynasty, and there's just one sorry king, a pharaoh after another. And they bleed the nation, and they break it down. Things just fall apart. That's why um, when Israel was enslaved, you know, they're working on the city of Ramses, Ramses was there, but it was falling apart. So the Egyptians were enslaved to rebuild Ramses, to fix it up, you know, to do those things. And um, so um, 
um, it wasn't that they were building a brand new city. They were just trying to put back together what these ridiculous pharaohs had done to it. So now you have a king that comes. He's three years, 300 years out from Joseph. He doesn't know Joseph. He doesn't know anything about the history of Joseph. But the Hyksos have been a pain in his rear end, too, just like they've been for everybody's. And because they were weak, the, the shepherd kings were getting to be an issue again. Okay? And um, so there's a great fear here in this king. Um, look at verse 8. Oh, verse 7. What chapter? Uh, chapter 1 in Exodus. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceedingly mighty. And the land was filled with them. And now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the, the people of the children of Israel, he knew whose line they were, okay, are more and mightier than we. Come on, let's deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it comes to pass that when there falls out any war, they join also with our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. Okay. Israel had become very mighty, very powerful. More, more powerful, actually, in themselves. Rich in that area, more so than Pharaoh. And they said, if these other Canaanite kings rise up, they could join with these king, these uh, these uh, Hyksos and wipe us out. So let's get rid of Israel. Let's enslave them. Let's try to get rid of their population. Let's wipe them out if we can. Um, and so um, the fear was there, planted there because of the Hyksos. Israel having come out of Canaan and um, these Canaanite shepherd kings. And so the idea that if the shepherd kings rose up, Israel might join with them because they're all in the Delta area together um, and then wipe Egypt out. Makes perfect sense that that Pharaoh would be so afraid. Um, and so therefore begin to enslave Israel to try to break them down and um, wipe them out if he could. So um, that's kind of the history of these Hyksos. So it's no wonder that just saying shepherds out of Canaanite, no wonder that would have been an abomination to the, the Egyptians. Um, but Pharaoh liked the idea of having Joseph's brothers there, and he said, look, you know, if, if any of you guys are exceptional in, in this work, um, I'll give you all my herds. You know, you can, you can work for me, come work for me, and I'll, you know, give you all my herds and let you take care of them. So it's not that he has a problem with herdmen, but he has a problem with Canaanite shepherds the shepherd kings. And um, um, so that's why Joseph was really particular about it. Um, I don't think he was really worried about Pharaoh saying, okay, you can stay in Goshen, as much as he wanted to be sure that Pharaoh knew they weren't part of that Hyksos bunch coming in here to take over Egypt. And I think he was just trying to avoid that any way he could. So, um, having said that, now let's um, go back to chapter 47. Okay. Verse 1. Then Joseph came and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brethren and their flocks and their herds 
and all that they have are come out of the land of Canaan. And behold, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took some of his brothers, even five men, and presented them to Pharaoh. Five is the number of grace. Isn't that funny? And Pharaoh said unto his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, We are cattlemen, or we deal in animals. We're animal husbandry guys. He didn't say shepherds like sheep tenders. Both we and also our fathers. And they said moreover unto Pharaoh, For to sojourn in this land we're come, for your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is sore in the land of Canaan. Now therefore we pray you, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers are come unto you, and the land of Egypt is before you. In the best land make your father and brothers to dwell. In the land of Goshen let them dwell. And if you know any man of activity or any men of talent among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. Hmm. So, you know, if any of those guys are really exceptional, Joseph, then make them rulers over my cattle too. So, you know, even Pharaoh had his own stock, livestock. Um, but it was just these Hyksos kings that were the pain in the rear end for the Egyptians. Actually, my Bible does say shepherds. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And but it's not it isn't the right word for shepherds. It's um, <clears throat> it's it's a specific word that um, um, that literally means deals in all types of animals, not just uh, not just um, uh, it's lambs or sheep. Right. Not lambs and sheep. Right but all kinds of animals. So it would be men who trade in a variety of animals. And it's actually a little phrase, ra'atasom, instead of just being one word. And it literally means, the, in general, taking care of animals. So that avoided this business of just being sheep herders, which is what Joseph was trying to get away from. And um, <clears throat> so Pharaoh was really gracious. Um, and, and he said, of course you can stay in, in Goshen. Um, it is rich land and you can just stay there. And I think Pharaoh wouldn't have been surprised because, you know, Goshen would have been a practical place for him to stop in the first place. It's right on the road into Egypt from Beersheba. It's right, you know, so they would have just stopped there and then just said, please, can we just stay there? Um, I, I don't think Pharaoh would have thought that they were, and, and I'm sure it was important to Joseph that they didn't seem like we're taking over Goshen, you know, we're taking Goshen. Like the shepherd kings that said, we're going to take over the Nile and then we're going to come after you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure Joseph was trying to keep this a very humble um, experience. Well, they were only <clears throat> 70 strong at that point. Right. They couldn't have done a whole lot of damage, no matter. Exactly right. So, um, because it was a natural stopping over point, because it was very fertile ground, Pharaoh was quick to do that. And then he says, I'll send you my livestock if you can take care of them. You know, that would be great. You can work for me. So he was so gracious and so generous to them. Um, and this is important. He blessed them and promoted them. Okay? And that's important. Um, <clears throat> because, go back to Genesis 12. 
this covenant is the very covenant that we live under. These promises are the promises that we live under <clears throat> right now. They belong to us. So the statement that was made, um, the statement that was made here to Abraham still stands. It still stands. Um, look at verse 2 and 3. This is God, the first time he spoke to Abram ever, telling him to get out of his land. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make you a great name, and you will be a blessing. <clears throat> and actually, the literal translation for that in the Hebrew is, you will be the standard by which blessing is invoked, which is exactly what Abraham is. He is the standard that you and I use to invoke blessing. And I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. Um, and if you go back through history and you look at the, the welfare of the nations through history, any nation who has blessed Israel has been extremely, supremely blessed. As soon as a nation begins to curse Israel, they go down the tubes. They go into chaos. They go into utter misery. Mm -hmm. And if you look at right now, if you look at um, the Palestinians, the poverty that they live in, the, the war that they're in all the time, the struggles that they have, the misery that they have, um, you know, they, they have openly, outwardly been lobbing hundreds and hundreds of missiles every week into Egypt like they do, those little bombs into Egypt like they do. I mean, into Israel like they do. Um, no, God's hand of blessing has been far removed from them. Far removed. Um, I remember the first time I saw that. It was on a TV show. And they showed the wall, you know, the wall there that was built to keep the Palestinians out. And on the one side, lush, green, beautiful. The other side, absolute devastation. Mm -hmm. Just that, fine, a demarcation. You know, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. So every nation, and I don't care whether they're godly or not, if they bless Israel, God's blessed them. Um, and that even starts with um, the Canaanites, because they were very much blessed when Abraham moved there and lived. Um, everybody wanted to make covenants with Abraham. You remember all that, because the blessing spread. If, if they were blessing Abraham, then they got the blessing. And um, so they were pretty quick to want to do that. So, Pharaoh has blessed Israel, supremely blessed Israel. And what's about to come here is that God is about to supremely bless, um, God is about to supremely bless um, Egypt. Um, under Joseph um, and... Um, the two kings that he's under, Sesostris III, and then Hotmenetep, his son, the third. Um, Egypt, yeah, there you go. Egypt just, um, Egypt becomes a, a um, popular place right here. Egypt now becomes uh, like a superstar nation. And uh, you'll see it, how Joseph... Joseph's management so um, under the hand of God blesses 
Pharaoh. But the first thing you have to see is, is that Pharaoh supremely blesses Israel and uh, puts them in the best land, gives them access to the best of everything he has, um, food, anything they need. It's all open to him. So um, then Jacob has a personal meeting with Pharaoh, one-on-one um, -on -one here. Um, so let's just keep reading. Um, start with verse 5. And Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers are coming to you, and the land of Egypt is before you, and the best of the land make your father and brothers to dwell. In the land of Goshen let them dwell, and if you know any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. And Joseph brought in Jacob his father, and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob was, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And um, Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. And I've not attained unto the days of the years of my life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. Joseph sounds a little bitter here, doesn't he? I mean, Jacob. you know, Jacob. I mean, Jacob. Jacob sounds a little bitter there to me. Yeah. Um, but... I love the idea that Jacob blesses Pharaoh, you know, with a spoken blessing. It's the word barakayet, which literally means speaks the blessing over him, speaks the benefit over him. He literally pronounced the blessing like he does over his sons, the blessing over his sons. He literally spoke that blessing over him. Um, because he's of great age, the Egyptians had a lot of honor for people of great age. That was a you know, very uh, awe-inspiring thing to be in the presence of somebody of very great age. And so it would have been a, a very high honor of Pharaoh, to, for, to Pharaoh, that he blessed him. John, John Gill says it this way, Jacob wished him health and happiness and prayed for his welfare and gave him thanks for his kindness, not only in the way of civility, as was usual in the presence of princes, but in an authoritative way as a prophet and a patriarch, a man divinely inspired of God who had great power in prayer with him. So uh, it was not just, you know, God bless you, man. It was, this was a serious um, Hebrew blessing, you know, that he imparted. Um, one of the Targum writers thought, wrote down what he thought Jacob might have prayed. May it be the pleasure of God that the waters of the Nile may be filled and that the famine may be removed from the world in your days. Mm -hmm. I thought, nice prayer. Nice, you know, nice way to look at it. So, um, a footnote, just to let you know. Mm -hmm. My footnote for a blessing mm -hmm. is greeted. <laughs> yeah, there's so much more to it than that. It's, you know, yeah. Okay. Yeah, see, and, and Barak, Barakah, that is the word for the blessing, like the blessing of God. When it says, blessed is the man who, you know, stands in the council of wisdom or whatever. Barakah, that is blessing, benefit, honor, all good things. And so this word is Barakayet, which means very personally, one-on-one. -on -one. A yet means a person. You are blessed and prospered and um, have great benefit. So it would have been more than just saying, yo, Pharaoh, how you doing? It would have been, 
you know, much, a, a serious prayer of blessing is what it would have been. And um, so, yeah, Jacob spoke true about his whole life. It had been a pilgrimage because he had never settled anywhere permanently. Isaac and Abraham had been very comfortable living in Haran and Beersheba and that area. They lived there for years and years and years. That was home. But Jacob, who never in his life did exactly what God told him the way he told him to do it. The only times he did, he was blessed. But, you know, Jacob started out stealing the birthright from his brother, ended up having to run away from home because Esau was going to kill him, ends up under a shyster Laban who then steals years of his life from him. And then he couldn't leave Laban on good terms. He, he had to run from Laban. And uh, um, if it hadn't been for God, Laban could have killed him and taken everything back. You know, so then he, you know, under directions from God, go to Bethel, go to Bethel. Where does he end up? Shechem. His daughter gets raped. He ends up in, in dire circumstances where the whole Hevite nation could have come after him and just wiped him out because he was small. He had to run away from the Hevites. Of course, he'd had to run. I mean, you know, he was scared to death to meet with Esau. Esau was gracious and, you know, they got along okay, but he had to run from there. But so when he finally got to Bethel, you know, he's still short a son. And then in Bethel, right there after Bethel, he loses Rachel. And so his whole life has been like one travesty after another. And then comes the famine and he loses Simeon. So now as far as he's concerned, Simeon's dead until they run out of food. You know, so it's just been one thing after another with Jacob. So yeah, he spoke true. Um, but he almost sounds bitter and I keep thinking... You know, I mean, it, it would be easy to be bitter, but Jacob, honestly, if you had just gone right back to Bethel like you were supposed to, he could have avoided so much. If he hadn't listened to Rachel and been so conniving in the first place, God still would have worked it out, you know. But um, they couldn't wait on God. They had to do it themselves. Yeah. And then embroil his brother and break up the family and... I mean, yeah, but um, he did speak true to Pharaoh for sure. Um, so Jacob settles in Goshen, and that's where he's going to spend the end of his days. And um, Pharaoh is supremely blessed because um, Pharaoh has blessed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, so start with, um, let's go to verse 13. Go back to 47. We'll start a little bit up from that. And let's just read the encounter. Start with verse... Um, where do I start? Let me just see. Okay. Uh, verse 11. And Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. The city of Ramses is right there, too. I mean, it's all... You know, on top of each other, on Ramses, it's all, you know, kind of right in there. So Ramses is already built, okay? So you know they weren't building Ramses for Ramses at, at 300 years later. And Joseph nourished his father and his brothers and all his father's household with bread according to their families. And there was, and here we go, and there was no bread in all the land. For the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted 
by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the corn which they had bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So the first thing that people did was they took all their money and they came into Egypt and they bought that corn. And so Joseph got all the money from Canaan and from Egypt and all those surrounding areas. And he put all that money in Pharaoh's treasury house. So the money went first. And when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money fails. And Joseph says, Give your cattle, and I will give you for your cattle if money fails. So if you don't have any money, bring me your cattle. Mm. So now all the people in Canaan, all the people in Egypt are bringing in the cattle. So now Joseph swaps grain for cattle. And they brought their cattle to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses and for the flocks and for the cattle of the herds and for the asses. And he fed them bread for all their cattle for that year. And when that year was ended, they came unto him the second year and said to him, We will not hide it from my Lord how that our money is spent. My Lord also has our herds of cattle. There's not anything left in the sight of the Lord but our bodies and our lands. Therefore we shall die before your eyes, both we and our land. Buy us and our land for bread. And we and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land be not desolate. Okay. So here's the next deal that they make. They say, all right, our money's gone. Our cattle's gone. We're still dying. The only thing we have left is the strength in our bodies and the land that we live on. So do this. We will sell ourselves to you. You know, we'll, we'll sell ourselves to you and our lands for food so that we can stay alive. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For the Egyptians sold every man his field because the famine prevailed over them so that the land became Pharaoh's. So now Pharaoh, in this seven-year famine, manages to gather all the money, all the gold pieces, all the money in Egypt and Canaan. Then he manages to gather all the cattle, all the animals, livestock in Egypt and Canaan. Then he manages to take all the land of the Egyptians. They sold their land for food. So he ended up with the land. Now, Pharaoh is extraordinarily wealthy. He has everything. When the famine ends, the people who live on that land are still living on the land. And Pharaoh gives them seed, and now he says, you're going to pay me a fifth or 20% of everything you raise. You can keep everything else, but 20% of that is mine. So the income keeps coming, you know? And um, I don't know, that has always struck me as not very merciful. <laughs> no, it isn't very merciful. But what else could Joseph do? Enrich the man who is blessing his family. I'll bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. The people in that nation specifically had not blessed Israel. But Pharaoh personally had blessed Israel. So Pharaoh personally is blessed um, because he was so gracious and good to Joseph 
and so gracious and good to Joseph's family. Mm -hmm. So Pharaoh himself is personally blessed. Um, and Joseph sees to it that he is. Well, you know, that's just kind of the way it is. Whoever you work for, even, even in this day and time, you know, your, your purpose is to bless your boss. Whoever that is, that's your purpose. Because they blessed you with the job, your job is to bless them. You know, pray for them, like, like Jacob prayed for Pharaoh. Bless them with the work that you do. Joseph did excellent work, excellent job. He spent seven years of hard work building all those storage sheds, setting aside all that food, getting it all there. And then Pharaoh, you know, sold it off. And he came out way ahead of things. Yeah, the people of Egypt paid a hard price. But um, because Pharaoh had been such a blessing, personal blessing to um, Joseph and then to Joseph's family, I will bless those that bless you. Pharaoh was supremely blessed. Um, so, um, yeah, so the land became Pharaoh's. Now, verse 21, and as for the people, he removed them to cities from one end of the border of Egypt even to the other end thereof, which I think that was merciful. Take those people off their lands, move them into the city where the feed crops, you know, where the feed is so that he could more easily take care of them, you know. Uh-huh until the famine is over. Um, as for the people, he removed them to the cities. Okay, verse 22. Only the land of the priests brought he not, bought he not. For the priests had a portion assigned them of Pharaoh and did eat their portion which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they sold not their lands. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have brought you, bought you this day, and your land for Pharaoh. So lo, here's seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the increase that you shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh. Four parts shall be your own for the seed of the field and for your food and for them of your household and for the food for your little ones. And they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord and we will be Pharaoh's servants. So they willingly did that. They were more than glad to do that because they were alive. And, and Pharaoh had taken care of them and gotten them through. But it cost them. It cost them everything. So they said, we'll be more than glad to do that. Everything we plant and take in, we'll give you 20%. Our God only asked for 10, but Joseph asked for 20 so Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt unto this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth part, except the land of the priests only, which became not Pharaoh's. And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions therein and grew and multiplied exceedingly. So, you know, there they were planted, and they just multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. Um, historically speaking, under Sesostris III, and like I said, Amenhotep, Joseph had helped bring Egypt to her zenith. And not only was the, was the money and the cattle and the land and the labor increased, not slavery, but, you know, um, like sharecropping is basically what that boiled down to. Um, they had increased a lot in foreign trade. They were out on the Mediterranean and traveling and and doing a lot of foreign trade because they built up their military and their ships. They had, 
you know, a lot of industry growing. And the other thing that brought them a great deal of wealth was um, the exploitation of the mines and quarries. They were quarrying and mining beautiful stones and jewelry and, I mean, you know, rich jewels and things like that. So their kingdom was very powerful and very wealthy. And then they even moved over and took Nubia and they began to take surrounding areas. You didn't hear from the Hyksos because they had been almost wiped out in the famine. But um, um, that was kind of like the last nail in their coffin for a good long while. But um, while all this was going on, Israel lived in the land and they multiplied exceedingly. Um, man, all the grace that poured out on Jacob in that place, you know. Um, when connected to the world, Israel wandered and was like a boat without an anchor but and subjected to struggles and heartbreak. But now, Jacob was finally in God's place. He was finally doing what God needed him to do. He was finally planted where God needed to be planted, right in his will, and the blessings flowed tremendously. You know, I'm thinking, wow. If we could learn that lesson, oh my gosh, wouldn't that be something? But we just continually do like Jacob, wander in and out. I don't know why, but it does give you great encouragement to know that when you get it right, the blessing's still there, you know. Um, and this was kind of a cool thing to me because um, Jacob lived there. Um, go, go to the next verse. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the whole age of Jacob was 147. I just read over that pretty lightly, and then all of a sudden it just hit me. Jacob was in the land with Joseph the last 17 years of his life. The first 17 years of his life, Jacob nourished Joseph. The last 17 years of Jacob's life, Joseph nourished Jacob. Is that cool or what? I saw that, and I thought, oh my gosh, that 17-year period. So now Joseph gets to nourish and bless his dad the last 17 years. It all goes around, doesn't it? It makes a perfect circle. So cool. Okay, so we're coming up right on the end of, um, of Jacob's life. He hasn't spoken the blessings and all over his sons yet. But he knows he's getting ready to die. He's 147, you know. And um, he knows it's getting close. And, and in his heart, he does not want to be buried in Egypt. He wants to be taken back to Canaan and planted in uh, Mechpelah where, where Abraham and Isaac are buried. He wants to be buried there. And um, I think, isn't that prophetic really? Joseph, um, Jacob, the seed, comes into Egypt and they sit there, you know, for 430 years and then they um, multiply into a great nation. Now, Jacob, the seed of Israel, is going back and is planted in Canaan so that 430 years later, after, after he dies, the rest of the seed then follow him to Canaan to take the promised land. I thought that was kind of a cool thing, too, when I thought about that. Wow. So Jacob has gone before the great nation of Israel into Egypt, and Jacob has gone before the great nation of Israel, before its birth, back into Canaan where... Israel's going to go and take the promised land someday. And his seed's already planted there. I mean, Jacob's already planted there. 
So it's pretty cool. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are already ahead of them um, in the land that's going to belong to them. So I, I just thought that was kind of a cool thing, too. So let's just read, because this is an interesting oath. Um, this is a really important oath to him. I've only seen this one other, one other place in the Bible. So, um, um, verse 29. And the time drew nigh that Israel must die. And he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found grace in your sight, put, I pray you, your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray you, in Egypt. But I will lie with my fathers, and you will carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore unto him. And Israel bowed himself upon his bed's head. Okay. Um, this is an oath that Abraham made his servant swear to when he went out to find a wife for Isaac. It's the only other time I've ever seen this uh, in the Bible, but it's a, it's a practice still in the Middle East. But if you want an oath that is to death, if you want somebody to promise an oath to death, that an oath they can't get out of, the person that is uh, going to make the promise kneels down on the ground, gets as close to the ground as he can, because you have to get really low on the ground to put your hand flat on the ground with your palm up. Um, you're stooped over even from the kneel. You're almost face down on the dirt to get your hand down that low. And the person who is asking the oath puts his knee in the palm of your hand, which is, that's pretty painful. And he puts the weight of his thigh in the palm of your hand so that literally a person in that position cannot escape. So this is an oath that you cannot escape from. If you make this oath, you're going to have to fulfill this one. You absolutely cannot escape it. And so Joseph kneeled, uh, Jacob kneeled down and put his knee and his thigh in Joseph's hand. And he said, you will not bury me in Egypt. You will take me back to my father's. And he said, I will. And he said, no, you swear it. Swear that oath to me. He made him swear it, you know, with his knee and, and thigh in the palm of his hand. And um, your knee and your thigh in the palm. Kneeling right down. Put your full weight in the palm of somebody's hand. That's a painful place to be, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, within the... You just kneel down. You know, like if, if the person's on the ground and their hand is like this, okay, then you're just going to kneel down and put your knee and your thigh right in the middle of his hand. So you'd be and kneeling on the ground. Okay. Yeah, they do. Yeah. I mean, it's still practice. It's a custom uh, in the Middle East today. You know, you every now and then people talk about, you know, they still say it happens. But, um, yeah, it's so it's an inescapable oath. If, yeah, yeah. And if you if you make that oath, you're, you can't escape it. Because with the full weight of somebody's body right in the palm of your hand, you can't get up. There's no defense. There's no defending it. You can't get up because you're not in a position to do that. You're stooped so low to the ground, and you have no leverage. All leverage is taken away from you at that point. You have no leverage. And um, you make that oath with somebody kneeling, you know, with the weight of their knee right in your hand and their thigh driving down into your hand. And so he says, you swear it before I get up. So he swore it. He said, I swear it, Dad. I will not bury you here. Well, he wanted to, too. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he wanted to, too. But 
Joseph knows most of his sons, you know, and I'm sure he wanted to be sure that Joseph made sure that those boys didn't slack up on anything, that they got him back to Machpelah, yeah, you know, um, to that cave at Machpelah. Um, and um, so he made Joseph swear that oath. All right. You know, and Joseph did. He said, I, I swear I will not, absolutely not bury you here. And they didn't. When he dies, Joseph takes a whole caravan and they take Joseph's bones, uh, I mean Jacob's bones, all the way back and they bury him in Machpelah. He is never planted in the ground in Egypt. But, um, you know, knowing Jacob's other sons, they might have said, oh, just stick him in a hole. We'll take him. If we go back, we'll take him later. You know, I mean, I, I'm sure Joseph, Jacob would have had that thought somewhere along the way. But knowing J Joseph, he made Joseph swear. He swear mm -hmm. Yeah, he made Joseph swear it. Because Joseph now, even though he was young, younger than the other brothers, was in, in the position of leadership. Yeah, he was in the position of authority, not his brothers. So, um, you know, um, <clears throat> then the next thing you see is Jacob is bowing himself on his bed. Two thoughts there. One... He was either finally saying, okay, now I can die a happy man. You know, so he was just yielding himself to death whenever it came. The other is that he was actually bowing to praise God and, and uh, thank him for his wholeness. And either way, I like it. You know, I like it either way. It works for me. But he still has a little more business. He has to deal with his children now. And um, he has prophecies that he has to speak over them. And um, so, mm-hmm. Um, we're going to stop there because it's 6.30 and then we'll pick up with chapter 48. 48. Yeah, next week. So, boy, that music is going to be nice tonight, isn't it? Whoa, I'm getting all pumped up about it. A question. Yeah. Joseph, uh, Jacob stayed with his uh, family. Yeah. At least 17 years. Right. What now? Who? Jacob. And his family stayed with Joseph. With Joseph. Yeah. In, in in Egypt. Egypt for oh 17 yeah. Seventeen years. Okay. Until Jacob dies. But, yeah. That's the seventeen years. Okay. But before that, when he was talking with Pharaoh, mm -hmm. uh, Jacob. Yeah. He said. Um, we have come to live here a while. Mm -hmm. Because the famine is severe in Canaan. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So evidently, in that after seven years, the famine ceased, and the grounds and everything started to produce again. In your reading, was there any understanding as to why they didn't go back to Canaan? Well. Because the land was rich, Joseph was there. It was a good place to live, and they stayed. God didn't tell them to go back, and so Jacob stayed. Near water, they were they're the best place possible, right there between two. You know, right there with the uh, with the Nile and a uh, river tributary from the Nile, and in that delta land, it was wonderful. So they just stayed put. Mm -hmm. But if the teaching of uh, ancestry, uh, would he not have known that uh, his great-grandfather was told that he would possess Canaan? 
Well, he would have known the whole promise, and the whole promise says 400 years um, after they moved into a strange land, they would go and possess Canaan. So they were just sojourning. There was 400 years at least, um, and that's in, I don't know, Genesis 12, Genesis 15 maybe. Yeah. Yeah. There's 400 years that, you know, that has to transpire before. Short of the famine, his clan was doing really good Mm -hmm. back in Canaan. Yeah. The reason they went to Egypt was to... Well, Jacob went to be with his son. Jacob packed up everything he owned. He intended to be there till he died. What his sons did after that, Jacob didn't have any say over. But um, he packed up and intended to stay his whole life. He didn't leave one shred behind in, in Canaan. He took everything he owned. So he intended on being there. And God said, you will die in Egypt. So he said, Joseph will close your eyes. And um, so he, you know, he knew he was going to be there. He was going permanently. So whatever his sons did, they did. But the ground was good. Joseph was still there. They were sheltered by the second in command in Egypt. Why would you leave, you know? So, yep, they just stayed in Goshen. But the promise is, you know, that it was 400 years before they would come out of there. So, yeah. All right. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, I'm loving this. Thank you for my stuff. Neato. They took they took uh, Jacob back right after he died. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They didn't that's leave him there. Yeah. Right. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha! In my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.